Well, good morning, Rivertown Community Church. It's so great to be with you this morning. If we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Gerald Fatiomi, um, or some of you call me Uncle Gerald or Uncle G, uh, and that name has kind of stuck since the last few times I've been here. I say if you're somewhere more than once, you get to place, call that place home, you get to call that place family, and so it's good to be back with family again. I guess it's appropriate to say Happy New Year since I haven't seen you yet in 2021. And uh, we've had some, pr some pretty significant mile markers in our family's life uh, over the last year. Actually, just a week ago, um, our identical twin girls, Wesley and Zoe, turned one years old. And so I wouldn't be a dad if I didn't show you a picture. So here's a quick picture of my babies. I know, right? Like, if that's not the cutest thing you've ever seen in your life. I got one more uh, just of our whole fam. That's my wife and Wesley and Zoe. And so we're pretty excited uh, about our little family that's growing. Um, we're really excited because in July, we'll be adding another little one uh, to the equation. Her name will be Trinity Hope, uh, another little girl. And so I told my wife we needed to name her Trinity because theologically that closes the circle on girls. And so I don't have to have any more uh, of those. Uh, over the last uh, couple of months, my wife and I have also been in the process of planting a church in Roswell, Georgia. Uh, and so we'll actually be hosting our first service, our Good Friday service uh, next week. So a lot has changed in our life over the last year. And the question that we've been getting as we've been sitting down with friends and family, telling them what's going on is this question right here. Why would you do that? Why would you do that? Why would you have two babies in a pandemic, have a third and plan a church all at the same time? Why would you do that? It does not seem to make a lot of sense. What I want to share with you as we prepare for Easter next week is a message that I've entitled, Why Would You Do That? And I'm praying that it'll be helpful to you as we prepare for the Easter season. So let's pray together and we'll jump in. Father, thank you uh, for these moments that we share. Thank you that they're yours and not ours. Um, thank you that you want to speak to us even now in these moments and um, that this question is, is a question that could lead us to purpose and understanding and a clearer picture of you if we'll lean into it. So would you speak in these next few moments that we would see you, hear from you, and experience you maybe in a new way. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Real quick show of hands, any uh, people love camping in the room? Any camping people in the room? Okay, yeah, that's definitely not me, uh, not a camping person. I went camping one time in my entire life, one time in my entire life. It was my junior year of high school, and I went camping with my brother, uh, our younger brother, so my older brother, our younger brother, our friend Nikhil, and myself. So four of us going camping. Uh, Nikhil was wrapping up his senior year, my little brother Drew was a freshman, and my brother Ryan and I were both juniors, and we decided to go on this camping trip. Our parents let us go, and so we pick out the location, and my brother tells me that this is going to be like backwoods camping. So we're going to be out in the woods, no shirts on, killing animals with our bare hands. Like, it's going to be an amazing camping trip. And so we start packing and preparing for the weekend. And uh, when I was in high school, I was a little bit of a troublemaker, and so I needed to take things up a notch. And so I didn't just want to show up with your typical camping materials, you know, like a tent and, and sleeping bag and that kind of stuff. No, I needed to have something a little bit more. And so I went out to Walmart and I purchased these airsoft guns and I grabbed a couple of them and so I was prepared to go on to a war not a camping trip. Well now that I had done this Nikhil and Drew and Ryan felt like they weren't as prepared for the trip so they went out and they bought some things as well and so Drew went out and bought uh, some airsoft guns and, and Nikhil went out and grabbed a machete this like massive machete and brought that with him. Ryan grabbed an axe and so he brought that with him and so now we're prepared to go on a camping trip. Now I should note at this point my brother's black my other brother's black 
I'm black and Akil's Indian, right? And so we're all going on this camping trip in the middle of the North Georgia woods. This is a recipe for a very, very bad time. Uh, we show up at the site and we kind of get everything set and we're supposed to be backwoods camping and so my little brother takes the ax and he's throwing it at this tree trying to get it stuck in and, and we're setting everything up and we get everything all set up to go camping and then one, or to finish our camping trip and to go hiking and so everything's set up to, for the campsite but now we're going to go for a hike and so we grab all of the things that are necessary for a hike, you know, granola bars and waters and the guns and the machete because that's what you need to go hiking when you're a teenage boy. And so we start walking the trail and Nikhil's out in front and he's cutting everything down with the machete and, and we have the airsoft guns with us and as we get to the middle of the trail, there's this kind of opening, you know? And so we break up into teams and, and we're shooting the airsoft guns at each other and we're having the time of our lives, but right in the middle of this war, there's this massive scream and we turn to check and make sure that everyone's okay and in that moment we realize that we're all fine, but but there was a person who had gotten injured. You see, a mom and her little boy, who was about four years old, were walking through the trail, and the little boy had now been shot in the head on his camping trip. The mom looks at us, doesn't say anything. She leaves. We continue on the trail and walk for about an hour and a half, and as we're making it back to our campsite, we're met by some friends. You may know them as the police. And they sit us down on the edge of the, the, the concrete and they begin to explain to us that we're not backwoods camping, that we're actually at a federal park and that we could face jail time because my brother, the tree that he had thrown the ax into was a baby dogwood tree, it was endangered. That the mom had filed a complaint for us shooting the little boy in the head and that the tra trail that Nikhil was cutting down with the machete was a protected trail. We went back to our campsite and laid down in our sleeping bags, woke up the next morning at 4 a.m., packed everything up, and left. Made it camping for a grand total of about 12 hours. I got back home and we sat down with our parents and, and we told them the story of what had happened. And I remember my dad looking at me going, Gerald, why would you do that? Uh, why would you guys, do that doesn't make any sense. You had a great camping opportunity and you ruined the weekend because you did something that you knew you should not have done. Gerald, why would you do that? You know, it's funny, as I read through the scriptures, I find moments where I'm tempted to ask this question over and over and over again. Why would you do that? What I want to do this morning is look particularly at one, why would you do that moment that's affected not only their life, but all of human history. If you've grown up in church, this will be a, f a familiar moment to you. The moment is found in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. Now, before we get there, let me give you a little context. We go back to Genesis 1, and what we see is, is in the beginning, God had created everything. And everything that he created was good. The heavens, the earth, the waters, the, the animals that were on the land, the animals that were on the sea, in the sea, like everything that God created was good. And then you get to day six and you see the pinnacle of his creation, the creation of you and me, the creation of human beings. And he looks on day six and says, it is very good. In Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2 is the story of all of creation. Genesis chapter 2 is the deep dive into the creation of man and woman. But then we get to Genesis chapter 3 and things take a turn for the worse. Because now you have Adam and Eve in this garden that's perfect. But the enemy has now come to Adam and Eve and is tempting them to eat from the one tree in the garden that God has said, do not eat from this tree. And in Genesis chapter 3, 
verse 6, we run into arguably the most famous, the most challenging, the most impactful, why would you do that moment in all of the Bible? Genesis 3, 6 says this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some, she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it as well. And if you're reading through the story, you're going, why would you do that? Why would you do, God gave you everything. The garden was perfect. You had access to everything you could have ever wanted. Can you imagine what it would have been like for them? I mean, come on, Adam was given the job of naming every animal in the garden. Can you imagine, like, walking down the street, and you're like, oh, that thing's beautiful, butterfly. That thing's ugly, hippo, right? Like, you get to name all of the animals. You can eat from any tree in the garden. Everything is perfect. God's given you one rule. Do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The enemy comes along. He tricks Eve into doing it. She gets tempted. She takes from the tree. She eats it, convinces Adam to do it as well. And we're looking at it going, no, 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 no. Like, this is the moment in the movie where you're like, don't do it. Why would you do that? But we've all been there, haven't we? We've all had moments where we've done something that we knew we shouldn't do. We did something that we knew wasn't wise. We did something that we knew wasn't moral. Right, for the student in the room, when everyone else was cheating on the test and there was something in you that was like, ah, I shouldn't do this, but it just seems so much easier. For the business leader in the room who has an opportunity to to get ahead, to save some money, to make some money. And like, I don't know if this is wise. I don't know if this is the best decision. But it's tempting in the moment, and it leads us to doing something that we would have never done otherwise. And so we step into it, knowing it wasn't best. And there's a consequence that comes. That's exactly where Adam and Eve find themselves in this moment. They have made a decision. They've done something they knew they shouldn't have done. They've stepped into a why would you do this kind of moment. And there is a consequence coming for their decision. They would lose the very thing that God had given them. This intimate relationship with God. This proximity to his presence this closeness that they would enjoy. And the reaction or the consequence to their sin, to them not living up to God's standard, to them doing the thing that God called them not to do, would be a separation from the garden and from the presence of God. That sin separated and eternal life was lost. That sin separated them, that their decision to not live up to God's standard, to break his one rule, would separate them from relationship with God. And not only that, they would lose eternal life because Adam and Eve were never meant to die. But in that moment, death would enter the equation because sin had entered the world. And there was a consequence for their sin. 
You just have to imagine, come on, we've been in moments like this, right? Where you just wish you could go back, where you wish you could do things differently, where you had a moment and you made a decision and you're going, I don't know why I did that. Why did I end up here? And now the consequence is coming and it feels like there's nothing you can do about it. But good news is on the way, my friends, because as God lays out the consequence of sin for Adam and Eve, that childbirth would be difficult, that the work of their hands would be hard, he also lays a consequence out for the enemy as well. That's what we find in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He says this to the enemy. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. Because of what you've done, because of the separation that you've created between me and my children, because you have messed up this perfect world that I have created for them, there will be a consequence for what you've done, and that consequence will be a day that you will be defeated and destroyed once and for all. Yeah, you'll hurt the one who's going to do it. You'll strike his heel, but he will defeat you once and for all. And in the middle of our brokenness, in the middle of our mess up, in the middle of our why would you do that moment, God steps into the scene with a promise for all of humanity. What we see next are generations waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. Abraham, Moses, Joshua, David, the prophets, 400 years of silence. But then we run into another why would you do that moment. And this one, well, this one would correct everything that went wrong, and this one would change the face of human history forever. John chapter 1. Verses 1 through 5 and 14 says this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. This is in reference to Jesus. And without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Verse 14. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. I remember the first time I read John chapter one and I stumbled across verse 14. I immediately underlined it or highlighted it in my Bible because I couldn't make sense of this verse. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I read that and I responded to it the same way that I responded to Genesis 3, 6. Like, why would you do that? Like, God, why would you leave heaven and come to the planet Earth? And if you can read that verse and not ask that question, then you will miss the significance of what God has done for you and me. The implication here is that the word, Jesus, left heaven and came to the planet Earth for you and for me. That God left perfection and came to brokenness. That the creator stepped into his creation that God would humble himself and become man, dealing with betrayal and pain, mocking, spit on, 
for you and for me. And when I read that, it begs the question, why in the world, like, why would you do that? I love the Gospel of John so much because the Gospel of John reads kind of like a movie or a play, you know? Um, Anyone familiar with the term breaking the fourth wall? Uh, If you're not, essentially what the term breaking the fourth wall means is this, is that the narrator will step out of the play or out of the movie and he'll he'll kind of break the scene for a moment. And oftentimes in movies, they'll kind of pause all the characters behind them and they'll speak directly to the audience because they don't want you to miss the significance of what's happening in the scene. And oftentimes what happens in the Gospel of John is that John will break the fourth wall. He'll kind of push pause like, Jesus, hold, don't move for a second. And he'll explain to the audience or to the reader, hey, this is what's going on. I don't want you to miss it. And what I love about the Gospel of John is that we actually find the answer to John 1.14 a couple of chapters later in John 3.16 where he steps out of the scene and he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. I don't want you to miss what's happening in this Moment. Jesus is in the middle of a conversation with a religious leader named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus has met with Jesus in private to ask him questions about what it looks like to really follow God. And in this conversation, Jesus says to Nicodemus, like, hey, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, like, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus is like, whoa, born again, Jesus, like, that feels weird. I don't want to go back in my mom's womb. Like, if I can do that, definitely don't want to do that. And Jesus is like, no, that's not what I mean. Like, and you're a religious teacher. You're supposed to understand these things. Listen, I've come so you could have life. That's the reason I'm here, so that you would be born again, so that you can experience relationship with God again. And as Jesus is explaining this to Nicodemus, John pauses the conversation. He breaks the fourth wall and he goes, do not miss the severity and the beauty of what Jesus is saying in this moment. And he writes the most famous verses in all of the Bible. And he says this in John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In John 3, 16 and 17, John gives us the reason why he would do that. Why would God leave heaven and come to the planet Earth? Three things that John says. I want you to write these down. These will be so helpful for you. The first is this, is that he was motivated by love. That he was motivated by love. Why would God leave heaven and come down to the planet Earth? Why? Because he was motivated by his love for you and for me. I want to ask you a question this morning. Because many of you have grown up in church and you've heard John 3:16 over and over and over again. You can recite it from memory. And so many of us have heard it so many times that it's lost the depth, the meaning, and the richness of what John is trying to explain to us in these verses. And so here's a question I want to ask you this morning. When you think about the reality that Jesus loves you, what does it do for you? Does it bring you to tears? Does it remind you of who you were? Does it remind you of your brokenness? Of that moment where you were desperate? Does it remind you of how lost you were without him? Are these just words that you've heard in Sunday school your whole life and have lost their meaning? See, what's happened for a lot of us is we've kind of romanticized the cross, you know? And so when we think about Jesus loving us, it's like this warm, fuzzy feeling, but we don't remember the depths that Jesus went to to demonstrate this love for us. That he'd be beaten within inches of his life. 
he'd be forced to carry a cross through the city, that he'd be spit on and mocked and ridiculed, that he'd have nails driven through his wrists and through his feet, that he would suffocate on the cross for hours for you and for me, and at the end he would say it is finished, that sin no longer has a hold on you, that it can no longer separate you, that it no longer owns you because he has done this thing to demonstrate the beauty and the richness of his love for you. And if that's become, become common to you, friends, you're missing it. And the worst thing that could happen for us this Easter is to go into next Sunday feeling like that's a normal thing and missing the weight and the gravity of what happened a week from today. Your God loved you so much that he left heaven and came to earth for you. For God so loved, fill in the blank with your name, that he gave his one and only son. So why would he do it? Why would he leave heaven and come to the planet Earth? The first is because he was motivated by his love for you and for me. The second thing is this. This is what John says, that he came on a mission to save. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but what? To save the world through him. Jesus came on a mission. He did not come for fun. He did not come for kicks and giggles. He came on a mission, and his mission was to save you and me, and the means by which he did that was the cross. I wanted to try to demonstrate this to you in the best way that I possibly could, but um, I couldn't figure out the best way to do it, so I came up with this really silly illustration, so I hope that you won't judge me, but, but maybe this will burn into your memory and It'll help you remember what we're talking about in this moment. Why does Jesus need to save us from our sin? Well, it's because our sin doesn't just separate. It's because our sin makes us incompatible with God. And an incompatible person can never connect to God no matter how hard we try. It's kind of like these headphones, you know. Um, I love my headphones. Um, For me, this is like a universal sign in the airport. Like, don't talk to me. You know, when I wear these, this means like, don't want to be friends, don't want to talk, like, These are my guys, right? Um, I also love my iPhone. Any iPhone people in the room this morning or online? Okay, cool. Yeah, if you're an Android person, raise your hand real high so we can see it. Awesome. We know who to pray for now. That's so good. Um, Yeah, I'm an iPhone person. I love my iPhone, right? Here's the problem. Um, My iPhone, every couple of years, they change like one little feature and tell me that it's worth now an extra like $700, even though it's not. It's just one little feature that changed. And over the years, they changed this little feature at the bottom, you know? And at the bottom, you used to be able to stick like a normal headphone in there, but now you have to use this like converter thing to get it in there, right? So the problem is, is my headphones have this little guy and my iPhone has that little guy and it doesn't matter how hard I try, this cannot connect to this. They're incompatible. Watch this. It doesn't matter how good of a person I am. It doesn't connect. It doesn't matter how hard I try, it doesn't connect. It doesn't matter how much money I make, it doesn't matter how much money I've given away, they're incompatible. And so the only way that I can use these headphones with this phone is with one of these. The dumbest named object in all of human history, a dongle. But the purpose of the dongle 
is to make my headphones compatible with my iPhone. So without this, these two things cannot work together. Friends, hear me. A holy God cannot be connected to imperfect people. A clean God cannot be connected to dirty humans. Without Jesus, it is impossible for us to be in relationship and in connection with God. And so the only way that we could have relationship with God is for God to send someone who could live the life that none of us could live, who could be sinless and perfect to be the connection between us and God. This sounds crazy. Jesus is your dongle. And the only way you can have right standing and right relationship with God is through the sacrifice that he's made for you and for me on the cross. Apart from Jesus, we're incompatible. But through him, relationship with God can be restored again. I was on a mission to save and he did it through the cross. So why would he do that? Why would God leave heaven and come to the planet Earth? One, because he was motivated by his love for you and me. Two, because he was on a mission to save. And the third and final reason why is because he came with a gift. John 3.16 says it so clear that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. That Jesus left heaven and came to the planet earth with a gift in hand. And what was the gift? What was he offering us? Well, he was offering us Eden. Did you catch it? See, because sin in the garden separated us from God, but Jesus restores the relationship to God. Sin took eternal life away. Eternal life was lost. But Jesus says, whoever puts their faith in me now gets eternal life back. Jesus came with the gift of the perfect life that God came to offer us to begin with in the first place. We get Eden back when we say yes to Jesus because we get to be back in the presence of God forever. The relationship with God can be restored. Our brokenness can be made Whole, that which was lost can be gotten back in the person of Jesus. So why would he do that? One, because he was motivated by his love for you. When he died on the cross, it wasn't just for the world. When he died on the cross, it was for you. Two, because he was on a mission to save, save you from what your sin, because it separates you from God. But in Jesus, the relationship can be restored. Three, he came with a gift, and that gift was the gift of eternal life, that you could be in right relationship with God forever, that heaven is now in the equation. And with Jesus, God restored everything that was broken. With Jesus, God kept his promise from the very beginning that he would crush his heel. With Jesus, God made it possible that we could be compatible with him. In Jesus, God has fulfilled his promise. And so you might be listening to this whole thing going, okay, Gerald, like I get all of that. Like God loves me, get it, came to save, get it, like came with a gift, totally understand. But like, what's the point of this whole thing. This is the point of the whole thing. God is faithful to keep his promise. 
God is faithful to keep his promise. God, from the very beginning, said, I know you messed it up. I know you've done some things you shouldn't have done. I know you broke my one rule, but I have made a promise to you that I will restore the relationship and we can be back together again. And in Jesus, he has kept that promise to you and to me. And so here's the big idea, and I want you to hold on to this. If we can trust God with the promise to save the world, come on, friends, we can trust this promise to us. And for some of you in 2020 and in 2021, you've been wondering if God was really faithful. You've been wondering if God was really good. You've been wondering if he's trustworthy. You've been wondering if he's for you. But you can trust that he is. Because if he made a promise to save the world, and he completed that, then come on, you can trust his promise, his promise to be with you. And you can trust his promise to protect you. And you can trust his promise to be your strength. And you can trust his promise to provide for you and to give you peace and to give you hope and to fight for you and to love you and ultimately to save you. And friends, that's what we get to celebrate next week. The reality that our God is a faithful God and he demonstrated it through the person of Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection because he loves you, because he came to save you, and because he came with a gift for you, the gift of eternal life. God's promises to you are true and you can trust him. But the question for this morning is simply this, will you? Will you trust him? Will you trust him with your life? Will you trust him with your finances? Will you trust him with your kids? With your marriage? With your career? With your friends? Will you trust him? Because he's faithful and he's good. Why would he do that? Because he loves you. Because he came to save you. Because he came with a gift. I pray that you will hold on to that truth as we prepare for Easter next week. Father, thank you. That's who you are. Thank you that even though we messed it all up, you loved us so much that you promised a solution from the very beginning and you were faithful to bring that solution to earth in the person of Jesus. That he would be mocked and crucified on our behalf that he would raise from the grave victorious so that we could experience life and life to the full in you. Father, I pray that we will hold on to and reflect on that truth as we prepare for next week. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, RCC family, love you so much. Thanks so much for joining us uh, this week. So excited for next week for Easter. Make sure you invite a friend, and not just any friend. Think about that unchurched friend at your church, or not at your church, that unchurched friend at your school, uh, that unchurched friend at your, at your job, that unchurched friend in your neighborhood who you've been investing in and loving for a really long time. I pray that you'd invite them, uh, and we'll see you back here next week for Easter.